This is the Canna Curio Podcast by Cannabis Media, your source for cannabis and hemp license updates directly from the data vault. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cannabis Media newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay informed of future episodes and data releases. Thanks for joining us at the Canna Curio Podcast. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. On today's show, we're joined by Tyler Stratford, the Director of Cannabis Operations at Monica's House. Tyler is a longtime friend of the Cannabis Media team, and we are so excited to have him on our show. But as always, before we jump in with our guest, let's see what news Ed for us has Ed has for us this week from the Data Vault. Ed? Thanks, Amanda. So We've just wrapped up a blog post on dispensaries and retailers year-to-date. We try and do these every month just to give people a snapshot of how that part of the market is growing or shrinking. And so far this year, we've seen 554 new licenses, and 200 of those, so at least a good 40%, are in Oklahoma. However, we've noticed that the rate of new licenses is on the decline Um, in February, 63 were issued in Oklahoma, and it was down to only 11 in May. I'm just curious here, why do you think there's been a a decline in the the licenses uh, since this last quarter? My guess, I mean, it's been trending down quarter by quarter since late last year. I think we may be reaching a saturation point. I mean, the licenses, as we know, are not that expensive to get $2,500 and you know, you can get your license, but there's only so many that the state can really handle. And with a population of only 4 million people, you know, having close to 1500 dispensaries uh, might, might be enough. So we'll have to see. The other thing that we're keeping an eye on is how many of last year's licenses are renewing. And uh, we're trying to get a handle on that uh, data from the state so that we can see, all right, even if they're not issuing new licenses, are any of them falling off the back? So uh, just something we're keeping an eye on there because dispensaries and retailers are obviously a big uh, focus for a lot of our customers. Yeah, I think that'll actually be uh, the next, you know, focus for, or you said it will be the next focus for us. But, you know, if you remember and recall a few podcasts ago, we actually wondered out loud when, when uh, the point of such, when Oklahoma would reach the point of saturation. So uh, I'm curious to see what the renewals will actually look like uh, and where the state lands. But thank you for the update, Ed. As I mentioned today, we'll be joined by Tyler Stratford of Monica's House. Stay tuned. Monica's House is an upcoming multifaceted venue in the heart of West Hollywood that boosts an upscale cannabis retail store with a cafe and lounge in the back with cannabis cocktails and culinary infusions. The space consists of plants, arts, antiques from all over the world and four private cabanas, all surrounding a koi pond with flowing waterfalls. It's the ultimate escape from the middle of the city. Monica's House is a new approach to the market with a deep offering of low-dose edibles and beverages for an approachable consumption experience that even the cannabis curious can enjoy. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, we're joined by Tyler Stratford of Monica's House. Monica's House is a West Hollywood cannabis operator with a unique license. We are so happy to have you on the show today, Tyler. Uh, Welcome. How are you? 
Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Ed. Happy to be here. I'm doing great, actually. You know, I think um, everybody's pretty excited with the energy going on across the country, um, good or bad. I think, you know, it's it's uh, time for things to change, and I think it's going to happen both with the cannabis industry and the country as a, as a whole. So I'm excited. Well, we are so, so happy to have you on the show. Uh, you've been a longtime friend of the cannabis media team, as well as a, a longtime friend of mine, you know, within the industry uh, and, and a veteran uh, in some regards, um, you know, but let's give our viewers some background. How long have you been in the cannabis industry? About nine and a half years. It'll actually be um, around 420 next year. That will be my 10 year mark in the industry. And honestly, the first time I ever tried cannabis. Wow, that's crazy. That's that's insane. Ten almost ten years in the industry, Tyler. That must mean that you have what a hundred years of experience, working experience. Yeah, we call it dog years, right? Experience yeah. in the cannabis industry equates to dog years, and and uh, experience in any other industry for sure. No kidding. Uh, but where did you work before, uh, Tyler? Uh, where were you uh, prior to the industry? What were you doing? I was actually in the Army. Uh, I served as an infantry soldier in um, the Honor Guard in Washington, D.C., first presidential marching platoon. Um, and I got out in 2011. And in 2009, my parents honestly had started one of the early licenses uh, in the medical side of, of Colorado. First one in Boulder and I think the seventh statewide. Um, so that's that's honestly, that was my bridge gap from going from the military straight into cannabis, never actually having tried cannabis before in my life. Wow, that's what a transition, uh, you know, and, and it's a, a very uh, great story, you know, that illuminates, um, you know, if you guys haven't heard or have connected with Tyler previously, I would definitely encourage you all to do so. Um, because Tyler's story is, you know, very unique, but um, really helps to illuminate a lot of uh, the ways that cannabis can better can benefit our, our veterans. But Tyler, we're here to talk about Monica's house. So tell us a little bit about the, this new opportunity and what makes you guys unique. Happy to I'm so excited about Monica's house. So um, first off, we'll let's start from the like the industry licensing side. You know, they uh, they had a unique licensing process that um, the two gentlemen who founded Monica's House, uh, Patrick Fogarty and John LaCarney, happened to win a license in that competitive application process, beating out big names like like MedMen, for instance, who did not win in that process. Um, and the interesting and unique thing about it is it's the first place where they're really regulating the adult use and consumption of cannabis. So we got an edible consumption lounge license. You may have heard of OG Cannabis Cafe, formerly Lowell Cafe. Um, they got a smoking consumption license. It's likely that within the next year or so, and probably even by with the results of November's you know, um, local ballot initiatives, that we'll all have both smoking and edible consumption. But this is the only place really where that's regulated. The license doesn't actually even exist on the state level. So, um, and in fact, what makes Monica's house unique is a couple things. First, we're one of the only ones that actually have a, um, of the people granted licenses that actually have them co-located in the same space. So we will have our, our retail, we'll have our edible consumption lounge, and we'll actually have our type seven non-volatile uh, extraction license going on in the same location on Santa Monica Boulevard. If you guys know where the current Medmen location is, we're across the street and west about 500 feet and <clears throat> we'll be in the Thomas Shoes Design Studio. Um, honestly, that space in and of itself makes our, our license and our operation incredibly unique. It's, it's one of a kind and he's been curating it for 10 years. Oh, Tyler, that sounds 
great, and uh, I can tell you're very excited about the opportunity. One thing that I wanted to dig into a little bit is, you know, what you've been able to bring to Monica's house because I've known you, you know, from your MJ Freeway and Canada Advisors Day. So, you know, that brings a compliance and operation and a consulting background, at least from 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 my thinking. You know, how have you been able to leverage those skills to help uh, prepare Monica's house for launch? Great question. Um, definitely, I'll say with MJ Freeway, I got a lot of exposure as an implementation consultant to basically every market that existed for cannabis at the time. So through them, I was able to open a, a few hundred uh, dispensaries in about 30 plus markets, including Canada, um, helped with some of our clients in Spain and Puerto Rico. Um, and then was able to help open hundreds of operations across the vertical, actually, with cultivation and extraction as well. Um, that really just gave me an insight to how the market works as a whole. So when I'm dealing with vendors, I really I understand their perspective. I know where they're coming from um, because I've, I've opened those businesses. And actually, at Boulder Kind Care, way back in the day, since we were vertically integrated, we had everything except extraction. I worked a lot in cultivation. So... Um, that plus, honestly, the insight of working at a, I'll just say MJ Freeway learned a lot of lessons right early on. And, um, you know, they've since changed a lot, but that gave me a lot of insight into what exactly the point of sale and inventory control companies were trying to create on the back end in the way of a logic. And that's pervasive in all of the point of sale companies and inventory control companies that I've interviewed and demoed since being at Monica's house is they they all seem to be good at different things and um but all seem to have this solid underlying logic now and that's not 100 percent of them but that's the most of the ones that that i've encountered so right now picking out the systems and operating systems for our operation mm -hmm. has really given me a lot of insight to what works best for us and not necessarily what is a good and bad point of sale system Oh, great. I mean, that, that's real helpful insight that you can provide to the organization. Now, uh, digging back into what you're talking about earlier about the licensing process. Now, as I understand it, West Hollywood is the only city allowing and regulating cannabis lounges. Is that right so far? I believe Oakland is doing something of that sort, but it's not in the way of issuing a license. I haven't honestly dove into that side of it as much, um, but mm. there was some talk of medical side cannabis consumption lounges in Arizona, as well as Missouri, believe it or not, and they don't even have a dispensary open yet. That's right. That's right. And in terms of the three licenses that Monica's house got for dispensary consumption delivery and, and soon to be extraction, what was that process like working with West Hollywood? Because they, you know, from what, what I've read, they, they seem to be pretty progressive in, you know, making this happen and, and trying to get license holders to get established in the city with innovative concepts. Yeah. You know, they, they really, um, it seems that, and I'm not very much familiar with California in general, but it seems, and what I've been told is that West Hollywood is an, is an innovator in the state and that they like to move forward with progressive um, policies and ballot measures, et cetera. So it doesn't really surprise a lot of people that West Hollywood is doing this. Um, but it was, it was very, um, I'll say transparent working with them um, during the application process. We had direct points of contact where we could talk and ask questions about stuff, um, you know, after a time period, because obviously there was a lot of people applying for these licenses. So we had to wait our, wait, wait our spot in line, but um, you know, the, 
the the issue seems to be that none of these license application processes are perfect and they never will be because humans are involved so <laughs> so whether it's missouri or, or west hollywood or pasadena um there is scrutiny of the process uh, afterwards so it's usually by i'll be honest by the people who don't get a license because the ones who win have no issue with the process why would they um yeah, so read into right. that part yeah. as much as you want but um, um <laughs> I'll say it's uh, it's been really good working with the city, especially uh, after the fact, you know, really making sure that um, what we said we would do in the application, we're doing in real life. And of course, during the application process, we didn't even have to identify a physical location. So um, that was different in this process as opposed to a lot of others where you have to show control of a location. Right. Right. So uh, digging into the, the license choice, uh, you references earlier that when it comes to these consumption um, facilities, it can either be smoking, vaping, and ingesting, um, or consumption of edible products by ingestion only. Was there ever like a, a strategic choice point that you know to go one way or the other, or did Monica's house know that it was always going to you know go down the you know the path that it chose? I think there was a vision from the beginning that eventually it would settle out and everybody would have both types of consumption. And a strategy um, that John and Patrick, mm. I believe, took from the beginning was that, hey, we're not going to go because you could apply for, for both. Uh, and that was just it seemed to be a bigger hurdle. Right. The city isn't just going to out of the gate, give somebody who's untested both of those licenses. And I don't believe they did. Um, so uh, it, it seemed to us to be easier to get an edible and retail license and then focus on co-locating them. And then establishing ourselves in the market, proving to the city of West Hollywood that we could abide by their rules. And then, of course, um, we just to be honest, there's a there's a ballot measure that qualified for November that does just that. It does a lot of other things that I don't like, but great. It does that. Yeah. Now, and one uh, some of the other interesting things I saw in looking through the applications themselves are that um, there should be no on-site sales of alcohol or tobacco and no on-site consumption of either of those products. Um, did that surprise you? Did, you know, or do you think that's really standard with these kind of uh, facilities where, you know, they just don't want to get all that uh, mixed together? I'd say to use an army term, um, they're probably going to crawl, then walk, then run into the adult use and consumption uh, here in the city. So mm. I, I believe that, um, you know, that, that again is something that's going to be changing. I think that as people, the populace, people consuming cannabis and alcohol become more educated about their own ingestion, you know, limits of each and both combined, that it'll be something that doesn't rest so much on the owner of the consumption lounge to really monitor. And for instance, we currently need to have emergency protocols in for if something goes wrong, right? Just, just like a bar. Um, to, yeah. Yeah, right. That, that makes sense. Well, and I was going to say, and similarly, one of the, the last things that really caught my eye and, and here I'm really interested in your operations perspective is it said that, you know, cannabis consumption areas have to provide law enforcement and all neighbors within 100 feet of the business the name and phone number of an on-site community relations employee in case there are any problems with the establishment. How do you think that's going to work? And, and you know, have you come across that in all the licenses that you worked on, you know, in, in, in your past roles? 
You know, it's I actually like that they enforce this because it's been a best practice of mine for a long time in the form of community engagement. If you're a dispensary and you're moving into an area, get to know your neighbors. Just like if you're moving into a house and you want to get to know your neighbors, you don't want them to call the cops first. To be blunt, you don't want them to right, call the cops right. first. You want them to call you. You want them to fix an issue on your level, a little discrepancy before they decide to involve the police. Because let's let's face it, they got better things to do. Um, and this is something that if we can handle it between us and our neighbors, that they honestly don't need to get involved. Um, in West Hollywood, we're actually required to have a roving guard that covers the neighborhood. Um, so that's that's something we're also having to do. That's another good thing, I think, in the form of community engagement and interaction is really just monitoring the surrounding area. Yep. No, that 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 definitely makes sense. Now, one question I was curious about is, you know, looking back. What about consumption licenses in other states? You know, we know California has been at the forefront, and I think I've heard inklings of this in Denver and plans, I believe, in like Illinois and Massachusetts. But what's your perspective, you know, look, looking back on sort of the consulting side of your background and, and also what you've learned in the Monica's House experience? Yeah, I, actually, I forgot to mention Denver before, but Colorado actually passed a measure that allows for um, consumption lounges of three different types. Um, but it, it's really based on community approval. So as a perspective, um, them, you know, Colorado doing it the way they're doing as a state, as a whole, allowing it, but making sure the local community has a buy in. I like that method. Right. That's kind of like if you have dry counties in some states with where they don't sell alcohol. It's it's basically the most local communal buy-in. Now, what we're seeing on in, in other states is people kind of just testing the envelope. So in Missouri, I believe it's in Springfield, mm. there's a because there's a consumption lounge, quote unquote, that's medical, and they're very rudimentary, but you know they're they're kind of seeing what Missouri is allowing them to get away with, because quite frankly, there's there's not really regulations around lounges. They talk about no allow, not, not being allowed to consume on site at the retail space or, of course, at any of the production or cultivation spaces. Um, but I, I see it as something that is going to be a lot less um, regulated. I mean, honestly, it, it'll be probably more in the form of of consumption lounges, not so much attached to retail much like we have mm. bars that aren't necessarily able to give me a 30 pack to take away with myself, you know? So, um, <laughs> right, so right. I think it'll, it'll shape much more in that way. But I, honestly, I think a lot, a lot more States are going to start bringing it online. I mean, I remember back in the day in Alaska doing a thing up there for MJ freeway and going to a consumption lounge that they had currently in operation back, even just as they passed uh, recreational, it was this, still a medical lounge. Wow. But, Wow. Well, sort of bringing it all back together, uh, I'm curious for Monica's house, you know, they managed to get those West Hollywood licenses in what sounded to be a very competitive environment up against some big well-known names. What's the pathway for state licenses? Because, you know, obviously there's a rather robust licensing scheme in, in California. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, um, or like, like I've said before, it's basically like a rubber stamp process. Um, we'll say that if, if we have the local approval and West Hollywood signs off of it, on it and everything like that, the BCC at the state level is likely going to say, hey, 
great. You're good with the local entities. Good because there's re regulations and restrictions are, are exceed ours basically is what typically happens is if there's local regulations, they exceed that of the state. So if the state actually checks in with the city and says, hey, are they following all, all your rules? Great. Well, then they're definitely following ours. Here's here's their state level license. Um, and for, for us, it's been a matter of the city of West Hollywood requires you to have like a public hearing, basically with access to the public so they can, or, or, or city council members where they can ask questions about your application and, and things like that. So we've gotten through that stage of it uh, for all except our delivery, which was actually delayed because of COVID. Um, so so that's, that's the path forward is really once we get our last hearing with the city, for West, of West Hollywood for our delivery license, we'll be able to you know, push that through on the state level. Um, and then there's actually, if you're a veteran and live in California, then you can uh, you get precedent. So you can benefit there uh, just by being a vet. They actually will move your, your paper up the line or your application up the line. Um, but once we get that, it's about three months of construction uh, on, our, on our retail consumption lounge side. And then to be honest, I'm thinking we'll probably be open sometime in October. November. Wow. Fingers crossed. Uh, fingers crossed, Tyler. That sounds like you guys yeah. have a lot of work ahead of you and, and hopefully no more COVID-19 delays. But um, I wanted to, you know, kind of bring it back to your previous experiences in the industry, right? You know, we've kind of touched on you working at MJ Freeway and having experience at Canada Advisors. Um, and, and, you know, it was during those times that you utilized our platform. Um, so I was just wondering, you know, uh, how, what are some of the ways that you, you use cannabis media and how would you use it in your current role now? Great question. So uh, first off, when I was at MJ Freeway, back when they were MJ Freeway, um, they they used it basically to to get all of the information on these emerging markets where they were issued license at the state level, uh, contact information, you know, location information, and that's really important when you're trying to capture a market um, as as a ancillary company in general. So really from that perspective, as just an ancillary company, that was the most beneficial resource I could have had at the time that existed really nowhere else. Um, at Canon Advisors, it was kind of, it was kind of the same thing. You know, we wouldn't utilize it um, to initially help people get licenses in a state, but being co-invested in the success of those licensees that at Canon Advisors, we helped, helped them get the competitive license. It allowed us to use the network in that state to help them get um, you know, branding deals or just honestly production and packaging deals. Let's say that one of our clients had only gotten a dispensary license. Well, for sure, they wanted to connect with people who had gotten licenses on the cultivation and extraction infusion side. And that was, that was absolutely, um, paramount uh, when when you're getting up and operating in a state is to have a unified front with all the other licensees. We also used it, and it's funny you guys mentioned Oklahoma because when that was an emerging market, um, and like you said, it's likely becoming saturated now, we utilized it for our, for our operational consulting services. You know, they didn't have much of an application process, so we didn't see them as having necessarily a lot of experience in cannabis to get it up and running because there wasn't many requirements besides being a state resident for two years and having a pulse and paying $2,500 pretty much. Um, so it really helped us get into that network down there and contact the people who were trying to start it from the grassroots in Oklahoma and who really need people like Canada advisors who had success in other markets with their clients um, 
to really you know expand their network and expand their footprint and decide what their market share was because as Oklahoma become became and becomes more saturated they you know the market share decreases with every license that's added so we used cannabis media's uh, email marketing campaign platform basically and it really got us an incredible amount of hits you know being able to to push some of that information to um, our CRM like Zoho and, and and whatnot was really useful and it really helped our marketing team and our sales team uh, connect on what message and what market we were attacking at what time Wow. I mean, you, that's, it sounds like you, you've been able to not only, you know, utilize the platform, um, you know, for your kind of own personal gain, but it's also, you know, helped your, your former clients, uh, you know, in, in the past. And that's great. I love that. Um, now, are there any tips or tricks that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah. Um, so I'm currently using cannabis media in Missouri because Monica's house also got dispensary licenses and production licenses in Missouri. So just like I said, you know, good for a, mark, a new emerging market and, and basically expanding your network there. That's how I'm using it in Missouri. And the, the tricks and tips that I, that I guess I would share with you guys is they have an incredible, um, Cannabis Media has an incredible uh, filtering and um, like basically things you can whittle down to exactly what license you want to see, what kind of point of sale they're using, where they're located. Um, you filter by zip code, talk about license type. Maybe that's somebody for us, for us, for instance, that I want to connect with in California, who I found out also has a license in Missouri. There's a lot of uh, conglomeration of um, basically seeing who is connected to what licenses in multi-state. So that really helps us um, at, at um, cannabis or at uh, Monica's house when we're using cannabis media. And the same thing for Canna Advisors. So save those save those lists that you filter down to uh, because you'll have a limited number of them, but they're really strong. And then build your email marketing campaign from those really refined lists, and you'll get your target audience. I love it. That's great, Tyler. I, I'm also a fan of our filtering uh, facets within the platform as well. Uh, and I'm so glad that it's helping you out uh, and connecting you to other businesses across the, the country. Uh, it's important for our community to stay connected during this time. Um, but thank you so much for joining us today, Tyler. Uh, it was such a pleasure speaking with you and learning more about what you're doing here at Monica's house. Uh, and, you know, we look forward to hopefully, you know, seeing you next time you're here in Colorado. Yep. As soon as we can, it's all on our shoulders to uh, progress this industry correctly and end this failed war on the drugs. And um, yeah, happy to be a part of it with you guys. Miss you. And uh, I'll be seeing you guys soon. Thanks, Tyler. Oh, Ed, what a great interview. I love catching up with old friends. Um, but looking ahead, do you have any updates for us uh, on uh, the data and licenses to look, we can look forward to from the Data Vault? Yeah, there's uh, three things that are taking up our time uh, this week. Uh, one, as I've been talking about a lot, more hemp dates coming in uh, from some of the states and from our researchers as we work through new information that uh, we've been able to get. Uh, next week's Canicurio blog post will be about cultivation licenses. So just like this one about um, which states issued licenses for dispensaries and retailers, the next one will focus on cultivation licenses so we can see where there might have been growth there. And then finally, I'm finishing up a white paper on all the companies that connect through metric and leaf data uh, at least in Washington, and how many licenses those companies are able to connect with. So it's uh, just an interesting re review of some of the more technology-enabled companies 
and what states they've chosen to operate in and how many licenses uh, they may have the opportunity to sell to. So excited to get that one uh, across the finish line. Sounds like you and the team are going to be some busy bees over the next week. Uh, very much looking forward to uh, the white paper, um, you know, and as well as the hemp updates. Uh, we've got a partnership going with the National Hemp Association through our uh, trade association partnership program. And uh, we're definitely looking forward to sharing that with you guys as well. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's podcast. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. Stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault. Thanks for listening to the Canacurio podcast by Cannabis Media. Stay up to date with the latest episodes of the podcast and get alerts on the latest licensing activity in the United States and Canada, as well as exclusive industry insights by signing up for the Cannabis Media licensing newsletter at cannabis.media newsletter.